Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the podcast from Dream Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. This is our second arrhythmia special on bradyarrhythmias. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. Any and all guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospitals, NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Hello, welcome back to Take Orally. Uh, delighted that uh, Dr. Bill Jameson has joined us once again. Hello, Bill. Uh, hi, JT. Thank you very much for inviting me back again. You're very welcome. Thank you for doing our first arrhythmia special and your consultant in emergency medicine. Um, and uh, you come back to us uh, to talk to us now about dealing with patients uh, with a brady arrhythmia and the approach they're in. Yes, yes. Um, the first thing that I wanted to do was to try and work out what is a bradycardia. Yeah. Um, and what do we know as a bradycardia? Yeah. Uh, and I think to understand what a bradycardia is, we need to understand what normal yeah. sinus rhythm is. So normal sinus rhythm is a heart rate that we define between 60 and 100 beats per minute mm. which is quite arbitrary really um, and this is a rhythm which is arising from the sinoatrial node and gives us the normal ECG which I'm sure I don't need to go into um, but if you can place an example of that into the uh, we'll do uh, we'll, we'll put what do we call that? What is that thing? The, the, the blog entry, yes. Blog entry. The blog entry. I don't understand all of this. It's so. quite all right. You're doing yeah, very okay. well. And uh, <laughs> there is also a, a take orally episode on the interpretation of the normal ECG as well. So people can have a look at that as well. Yep. Um, so sinus bradycardia is a heart rate less than 60, which you'll pick up either because you've looked at the observations or you've examined the patient, felt their pulse and thought that's a bit slow. Mm. Um, but this is... This is what's normal um, we have a, a really wide variation hmm. so some people you might pick up with um, rates of less than 60 but for them that's actually yeah. normal your marathon runners and, exactly yeah. exactly yeah. so this thing of this rate of 60 is quite arbitrary and I often think of less than 50 rather than thinking of less than 60 less than 50 is going to start me getting a little bit more worried about sure. bradycardia um, when you see patients who can often be physically well, they have what's known as a sinus arrhythmia. Mm. Um, and that is just a variation in rate with respiratory cycles. So as you breathe in and out, the rate of your heart changes and that becomes quite obvious on the ECG. Um, and some people often can worry about that, but that is entirely normal. Mm. Um, so normal bradycardia i think if you're if you take a patient that comes in with a heart rate of less than 60 you need to have that thought process can i explain mm. why this patient has one um and we need to think about when and what situations there can be so you mentioned athletes mm. so just by training they have an increased vagal tone so their heart rate runs at a at a lower rate so a few quick questions in your history and you probably come up with the idea that ah, you probably do quite a lot of exercise and yeah. this is normal. Um, not that we're going to see it unless our patients are sleeping in the department, but I don't know if you're aware, your heart rate can go down to less than 30 with even a couple of seconds pauses when we're sleeping. So that's mm. not abnormal. So somebody who's relaxed and calm will have a slower heart rate than somebody that's stressed. <laughs> um, elderly patients can have quite a slow heart rate and that can be normal um, unfortunately it's quite difficult to say it's definitely normal because it can also be one of the uh, first things that we see in sick sinus syndrome mm. which I'm not going to cover today you'll be pleased to hear <laughs> uh, that may be another podcast for another day but we will we will see um, so we talked about that sinus bradycardia why do we get it um, 
again, lots of reasons. It can be because of heart problems. It can be entirely normal, and it can be due to medical things. Mm. It can be due to stuff that we uh, beta blockade. Or, exactly. Yeah. So think of it. So we've mentioned six sinus syndrome. Sinus bradycardia can be the first manifestation of a sick sinus syndrome, particularly in elderly patients. It needs to be thought about. Medications, so you mentioned beta blockers. Um, common drugs that we use, like opioids, patients take them quite regularly, uh, and they can cause that. Any drugs that affect the heart, such as antiarrhythmics, amiodarone, digoxin, um, but there are drugs that we see more of, um, such as some of the chemotherapy drugs, thalidomide, for example, is a drug which can cause bradycardia. Uh, lithium will cause bradycardia. Think about poisonings, mm. drugs such as organophosphates, rare but possible. So when a patient comes in with a bradycardia, you need to be thinking, have they started any new medications recently? And even the things that you're not sure they could be the cause of it. Mm. So think about it. Um, so if the patient says they're on chemotherapy, actually there are quite a number of chemotherapy drugs that will cause bradycardia. Um, medical causes such as acute myocardial infarction, but remember mm. the, um, uh, the right coronary artery supplies the SA node, infarct that, you damage your SA node and therefore the patient can present with a bradycardia. So again, think about that, taking the history. Mm. Um, patients with who've had a stroke, raised intracranial pressure, trauma, they can all uh, present. Cushing's uh, reflex, exactly. yeah. Um, patients who suffer with obstructive sleep apnea. Again, we're not going to see it necessarily in the department, but they might fall asleep. Um, anything that causes exaggerated vagal activity, patients such as you know, coughing, sneezing, frights, fear, etc. So we see quite a bit of that in the emergency department. Yeah. Um, trauma to the eye. So we see that. We see the patients that have got um, uh, injuries to their orbit, pressure behind the eye can cause them to be bradycardic. Um, infections such as well the weird and the wonderful often um, <laughs> so things like Lyme disease mm. uh, Legionella and lots of things like Rocky Mountain spotted fever dengue fever all the things that infectious diseases are interested in these patients might present um, bradycardic mm. um, and something when I was preparing for this I thought about which was over the winter we've seen quite a lot of um, viral illnesses yeah. so flu made a sort of and I had a number of patients who were relatively bradycardic for somebody who was actually septic mm. um, and it's interesting in that the bradycardia was most likely caused by the infection the patients weren't mounting a response that was appropriate for their illness mm. um, and then of course we need to be thinking about uh, other medical causes such as hypothyroidism hypothermia um, hypoxia patients that have come in they've had a hypoxic injury could be post cardiac arrest they're just bradycardic because they've been hypoxic and the, the, the myocardium suffering um, anorexics they can often be bradycardic um, and then we also need to think of things like our channelopathies yeah. um, Brigada syndromes long QT they can all present with bradycardia again it's the history how was the patient when they mm. came in what happened to bring them into hospital mm. um, and a good long look at the actual um, ECG mm. uh, 
I hope that's a bit of a, a bit of a preamble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot to cover there, isn't there? There's a huge amount. And this, I think it's that, that way of actually approaching the patient. Mm. So these patients, usually this is a clinical presentation. Sometimes the bradycardia is the reason they're presenting, but sometimes it's not. It's actually just an incidental finding that we mm. need to just do a few questions, which will give us the cause and we don't need to think anything else about it. Mm. Um, so most of our patients, I think, with a bradycardia present well, would you agree? Yeah, I'd say so. Because Well, usually they're on a trolley anyway. Yes. You're not exerting them. As we already talked about in the previous podcast, you're not actually exerting them at that point. Yep. They're usually, uh, if it's an elderly patient on a hot day like today, they're out of their layers and they're into a gown. Yep. We may well have given them a drink as well. And, and yeah, they're, they're, they're sitting quite chilled and, and very happy. And very often with me, it's, oh, doctor, this you know, there's an ECG, the rate's only 49, you know, or something like that. And actually, like you said, it's the incidental finding. Yeah, yeah. So most patients, they're well. So our approach to the patient is going to be exactly the same as any other patient. There's a history, why have they come here? Mm. Um, with a bradycardia, you need to remember that some of the symptoms are extremely uh, subtle. Mm. So you've talked already about the fact that when they're on a trolley, they're... Um, they're calm, they're relaxed, you're not, you're not making them walk about. And it may be that you need to be taking a careful history about things like lightheadedness, dizziness, chest pain, palpitations, all the sort of vague symptoms that actually somebody who's got a bradycardia could suffer with. Mm -hmm. Usually it's all the exercise-induced uh, things. Um, obviously, we're always going to want to look at the ECG. Yeah, of course, so, yeah. Um, you look at your ECG and we want to know that there are P waves mm. and that they are present in leads one to an AVL and that they're upright and that in AVR it's the opposite but there is a P wave before each QRS and then you're happy that this is first you've identified that your bradycardia is a sinus bradycardia um, and then it's a matter of if you've got somebody with some vague symptoms we're wanting to exclude other causes uh, and part of that is saying well is there a block here is there a yeah. block in the conduction system mm. so is there p waves before every qrs yeah and if there is then there's no block of, there's no block there mm. so then you can move on to some more history more examination and we've talked about causes so you need to be thinking about causes of this bradycardia could it be medication so is it due to exercise? Is there an infection? And is there a systemic condition? So is there, are they anorexic? Have they got an electrolyte abnormality? Have they got um, hypothyroidism? Are they cold? What's actually causing this? Mm. Um, winter time, all throughout the year, we see patients, elderly patients who are cold. Mm. And sometimes we don't think about it, but that could be the cause of their bradycardia. Um, so, I think moving on, once you've taken your history, we then need to differentiate in our patient with bradycardia. So are they hemodynamically compromised? So mm. are they, do they have any of the subtle signs that mm. they are suffering with hemodynamic, hemodynamic compromise? That's not necessarily going to be obvious to you, yeah. trolley. Mm. So that's the history. The obvious person that's compromised well they're going to be hyper you know hypotensive they're confused yeah they're going to get a history out of them because yeah. they won't know what's going on um so 
we're still talking about our sinus bradycardia. So if these patients are asymptomatic, we're not going to do anything. Mm. But actually, sometimes you do get patients who are symptomatic. Um, and these patients need to have continuous monitoring. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're slightly symptomatic, then we can watch them. We can look for a cause, check their thyroid function, wait for the results to come back, replace it if necessary, warm them up if necessary, treat them infection, um, check their medications. Well, they're on beta blockers. It was recently increased. The bisoplol was increased to five milligrams from 2.5. Yeah. You're happy that that's probably the cause. So let's stop the beta blocker, keep them monitored and bring them in. Now, if they're significantly uh, symptomatic, then our treatment options are as they are for any bradyarrhythmia and I think prior to this we've talked about there's lots of different yeah so I usually have the the resource council guideline and they have a very good app that I have on my phone oh brilliant so will you include a link in the I will yeah yeah fantastic that would be great Um, (laughs) so if they're symptomatic uh, one of our first line drugs is atropine yeah so we can give atropine increases heart rate um i think everybody listening you can all do your homework if i'm not here to tell you exactly how all these drugs work so <laughs> if you want to you can go and look it all up um you will all have local guidance on what's the next option in your patient who is bradycardic and symptomatic there are many so dopamine dobutamine adrenaline glucagon external pacing uh pacing wires and then a permanent pacemaker if necessary and often in the patient that is bradycardic it might be that they're over beta blocked and therefore you just need time stop that so and stop yeah the beta blocker maybe reverse the beta blocker and this is where things like glucagon yeah. will work but it's it's thinking about what the cause is and treating that appropriately sure. sometimes it's just buying time mm. to let the patient recover on their own mm. um, and treat the cause Sometimes if you can't find a cause, you need to be thinking about that sick sinus syndrome again. <laughs> promise I'm not going to talk anymore about that. Um, Good old tacky braddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Won't go there. <laughs> um, there's a huge list of other cardiac causes. But today, I think the things we're going to be covering are um, the bradycardia, so sinus bradycardia, and then AV block, yeah. um, or dissociations that sure. occur with atrial fibrillation or flutter. Sure. Um, there are escape rhythms, which we'll cover a little bit, um, but I think more of want to just try and get through an approach to the patient who comes in bradycardia. Sure. So... AV block and again JT can you make sure we've got some ECGs for people will do yeah everybody's favourite ask a student talk me through heart block absolutely yeah Yeah. so um, were you taught the um, the husband analogy no idea. No. Have you heard the husband analogy? Oh, is this the wanky back one? Is this the one? So, uh, well, we'll, we'll uh, shall we go through it and then I'll talk and then I'll bring up the husband analogy, which which, see, which students seem to to really like and enjoy. Okay. <laughs> um, I will say I just try to remember which one's which. <laughs> um, so, AV block. What is it? Um, for me, it's a delay in conduction um, from the atria yeah. to the ventricles. So you've got the SA node is firing, and then there's something which is happening in between to stop that from happening. Um, we're not covering first-degree heart block today. 
So first degree heart block is just a delay in the conduction. There's no, that the patients are asymptomatic. So you prolonged PR exactly. that stays the same stays the and same. no drop beats. A certain proportion of the population has and it normally anyway. Normal. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we're going to move from first degree into second degree of which there are two types. Helpfully, type one and type two. Type <laughs> one, um, which is wanky back, yep. which is benign, usually. Mm, usually. Exactly. Um, this is where you get a progressive prolongation of your PR interval and then a dropped QRS complex. And then it starts again. Yep. And this is your type one. Then you've got your type two. Um, so Mobit's type two, yeah. So yes, Mobit's type one, Mobit's type two. And this is where your PR interval remains consistent. Mm -hmm. The PR interval is exactly the same before each QRS, except for one that is then dropped. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's very hard to tell the difference between uh, wanky back, Mobit's type one, and Mobit's type two. And especially if there's a two to one block because mm. you don't get much ECG to actually look at no. to see the prolongation uh, uh, of the PR. And this is where you need the rhythm strip really. Yes. And I always ask and, and I always advise, you know, you, you've got a certain section, especially if they're bradycardic, you're only seeing so many beats yep. on that on a normal ECG. Kindly ask your your uh, your uh, colleagues, or do it yourself if, if you're able to. I, I'm not going to pretend I know how to do one, uh, and, and get the rhythm strip and, and have a good look at it. Yes. Now this is hard. So sometimes I might fall down on the side of well, if I call it type one and it's type two, that's bad. That's bad. Yeah. So if I call these all type two and treat them as type two, then I may miss some that are actually benign and type one but I'm not going to miss any yeah. that are potentially causing a problem. So I've talked about the rhythm strip. I'll always do a rhythm strip, have a good look at it. I'll ask my cardiology colleagues. So our CATS team here, and I'm sure every other hospital. So they're, they're a cardiac outreach nursing team, aren't they? And they're, yeah. they're brilliant, yeah. And they will come and do ECGs and they will look at the patients and they have information at their fingertips they will get hold of. And if in doubt, they will take over the patient. So... Um, there are things that you can try, so um, you can try vagal manoeuvres um, to see if it actually changes the block. Mm. So if you get a patient to hold their breath, that might change the block from a two to one to mm. a three or a four, and therefore you actually see the wanky back a bit better. Um, you can give a trial of atropine, it's not something that I do. Um, but again, these are all options for actually seeing. Now, the problem with all of these is that if you see wanky back, then it's wanky back. But if you don't, it doesn't mean it isn't. Mm. So um, if you don't get a change, it's likely to be two, but it's not definite. So mm. we're just back to it's possibly something <laughs> two. Um, ha, how do we manage them? So... In my experience, most patients with type 1 are actually well asymptomatic and it becomes a sort of, oh, that's interesting, and they're well. But occasionally, we can find patients that are symptomatic. So if they're asymptomatic, then we need to look at reversible causes. Yeah. And any of the things that we've already talked about could be a cause of um, type 1. Um, if they're symptomatic, remember again, it's asking those little questions. Yeah. When you, you know, when you're walking up the stairs, when you're, you know, do you do you find that you're more fatigued, more tired than you have been recently? 
are things getting harder to do and that mm. can actually be a, a symptom of this bradyarrhythmia so if they're symptomatic but stable then they need to be monitored and again looking for reversible causes medication thyroid electrolytes uh, mi um, uh, we've talked about lyme disease myocarditis um, things like abscesses from um, pericarditis yeah there's lots of things which can cause a problem with the and heart that can present with yeah so i was at uh, das smack uh, last year and uh, there was a talk on uh, an endocarditis that was expletive filled but i won't repeat that because this is a family podcast uh, but um one of the things was about fever plus one for infective endocarditis and and one of those plus ones was was a new heart block mm. um because if, if you have a plaque that is growing and can involve the, the sinoatrial node, you will, get, you will give yourself a new heart block. Exactly. I think it's all those conditions that cause some sort of granuloma as well. So like Charcot's, um, no, no uh, not Charcot, um, Shagger's disease yeah. and things, exactly. uh, you know, where there is sarcoidosis, where there's a granuloma, anything that can interfere with the Purkinje fibres can give yourself this new. So I um, think for, we'll talk about it later, but for third degree heart block, young people, mm. um, I think under the age of 50, I'd need to double check, but a lot of those, 25, 30, 40%, I can't remember the exact figures, but a significant number will actually be due to cardiac sarcoid. Mm. And so this is where you need to be thinking about, sure. there's sure. going to be a cause for this. This is mm. not just an old heart. No, no, absolutely. Um, what, what's actually causing the problem? Um, uh, I think, so, type 1, we talked about the causes, we talked about the causes, sorry, so MI, if they've got ST elevation, then we're treating it, and we're going to send them for revascularization, and hopefully that will improve their arrhythmia. Um, drugs, we need to monitor them, and wait for it to, you know, stop them, yeah. wait for it to get better. Um, and rarely type 1s will be symptomatic and hemodynamically unstable mm. in which case all of the above is appropriate we need to treat the cause but sometimes they need that holding measure of um, medical management in terms of pacing etc yeah. so um, consult your uh, mm. hemodynamically unstable bradyarrhythmia mm. and follow it <laughs> uh, now I think that moves us from type 1 into type 2. So with type 2, some of those impulses, so there's a regular PR interval, and then mm. some of the impulses fail to reach the ventricle, so yes. there's a break in that mm. uh, electrical circuit. Um, and the difference with it is that type 2 has a regular PR and a regular dropped beat. Mm. Um, and the reason for that which can be a two to one, a three oh, to one, yes, uh, absolutely. yeah, yes. sort of relationship. So the longer the block, the easier it is to actually work it out because yeah. you get more to see that's mm. normal and then a drop beat. Mm. Um, the underlying cause of this is the same as everything we've discussed already, but patients who've had things like valve replacements, mm. cardiac surgery, can present with this but again lots of them 
where you don't find a cause, so mm. they don't have any of the things that we've discussed already, the majority of those patients, this is due to progressive fibrosis and the uh, degeneration of the um, conduction system, of which there isn't a magic cure. It doesn't matter how long you wait for the drugs to wear off, this is not going to improve. With a type 2 block, you'll get a, a widening of the QRS um, because the actual block is below the AV node, so it's either in the HIS or it's in the bundle branch. Mm. Um, and I was going to talk a little bit about what the this looks like on the ECG. Um, I'm not doing whether or not we trundle into trifascicular and bifascicular blocks. Okay. I think for this podcast, it's probably not. We'll do that a bit later, probably. Yeah. That? Yeah. Um, because what I wanted to talk about was with the, with the if you get the block in the uh, bundle, then you will get a widening of the QRS and an axis, axis deviation, mm. which depends on where that block actually is. So we'll put some ECG examples of trifascicular yeah. and bifascicular block and actually how they look. But mm. this is the wide QRS with axis deviation. Um, the patients with a type 2 block, these patients usually present with symptoms. So it's very rare that somebody with a type 2 block won't have come in because I fell over or, you know, be very careful when they say, I just tripped. Yeah. This needs to be a very careful history of actually, is this a syncopal event? Mm. Are they getting pre-syncopal symptoms? Are they getting dizziness? Um, there's a, a something that can happen with type 2 is uh, Stokes-Adams attacks, which are a drop attack. Mm. And that's literally just because the there's a missed beat and then there's a pause before everything starts to work as it was before again. Mm. And there's a risk of the patients going into asystole, which is why these can be quite dangerous. Um, and again, history. Examine the patient look at the ECG carefully, diagnose what your block is. And we talked about the PR will be unchanging, it can be prolonged, QRS will be regular and there'll be a dropped QRS. Um, and again, you'll, you'll diagnose them with history, symptoms, examination, you'll feel an irregular pulse. And on their ECG, you will see what the block is and then you need to be thinking about investigations we're getting a bit boring now <laughs> investigations all the things that we've done already mm. but have they had cardiac surgery what's actually gone off in the past what medications are they on what you know is this is this out of the blue is it new is it old have things changed from previous ecgs and again treatment of it well are they stable or are they unstable so if they're stable we need to monitor them mm. If this patient's had a syncopal event, we're not sending them home. We need to, you know, we're worried that this could progress into an asystolic rhythm. And we need to assess them for the reversible causes. Mm -hmm. Same as before, we check medications, we do all our electrolytes, we check thyroid. Um, if there's none identified and there's no reversible cause, then these patients need a, uh, a permanent pacemaker. Um, if they're unstable, then we treat them as an unstable bradyarrhythmia and we follow guidance and protocols. Now, there are lots of things that you can do. There's potential for giving atropine, 
but with type 2 depending on where the block is. So if the block is below the AV node then the, it's not going to have any effect. So if there's a wide QRS then there's no point giving atropine. The time and that wide QRS makes us think bundle branch block. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is a conduction problem mm. Um, mm. and the atropine will have no effect. You'll just get mm. all the side effects from the atropine. Mm. The, but if this is caused by drugs mm. or there is another cause for it, like mm. their pipothyroid or etc., then using atropine will increase their rate and will work. Um, then need to think about chronotropic agents again. Whatever your choice is, whatever you have locally. So um, you've got dopamine, you've got adrenaline. Think about external pacing, transcutaneous. So transcutaneous external pacing. Then you've got temporary pacing wires in a pacing suite, and then potentially, if there's no reversible cause, then a permanent pacemaker. Uh, does that all make sense? That all makes sense. Sure. <laughs> um, so we've we've looked we've we've looked there at Mobits one and Mobits two. Then though we've still got third degree, haven't we? We have. Otherwise yes. known as complete heart complete block. Complete heart block. So, <laughs> third degree heart block. This is where you've got P waves, you've got QRS complexes, but they do not marry up in any way. <laughs> your P waves may be regular and your QRS rate may be regular. Your rate could be extremely low because this is a what we call a ventricular escape rhythm. Mm. Uh, running it around about 30 um, and possibly even less mm. and again patient might just be sitting there mm. relatively well because again they're on a trolley but if you mm. ask them to walk around they'll collapse um, so you will be unsurprised to find out that a lot of the causes that can be reversed <laughs> or not are exactly the same. Well, hey. <laughs> so we're back into our, you know, history. Did they have chest pain? Is this an MI? Did they have underlying cardiomyopathy, myocarditis? The list's endless. Yeah. But you need to be thinking about sure. the good examination doing those tests. Uh, but most of them there isn't a cause most of it is actually due to degenerative changes and the patients present with a third degree heart block need a good history they need a good examination they need investigation and a thought process about what drugs they're on um, checking their electrolytes and again stable versus unstable it's exactly the same mm. um, you diagnose them with their history you diagnose them with their ECG and then you look to see whether they're stable or unstable if they're stable with no treatable causes, guess what? We've put a pacemaker in. So they can go to the cardiac lab on a monitor because they could end up in a system. Absolutely, yeah. Um, usually we'd like to have them with pacing pads on and mm. set up to go if necessary. Um, and if they're unstable, follow that algorithm again. Mm. Um, again, atropine, if you've got a cause, it can help. But if this is a block below the AV node with a wide QRS, it's going to have no effect at all. And so we skip that usually. We could start them on a chronotropic agent, um, externally paste them, transcutaneously bed, sorry, um, temporary pacing wire, and then a permanent pacemaker. Um, and I think that's it. <laughs> I think the take home note in all of it is a good history, yep. a good examination, yep. appropriate investigations, ECG, good use of the, the rhythm strip, uh, good use of your cardiac team, and 
monitor them when you're worried. Yeah, I think. Exactly. Um, would yes. you would you like the husband analogy? Go on then. Well, I suppose you know, in the twenty first century, it could be wife, it could be anything, it could be, it could be anything, yeah, anybody now. So we'll, we'll exactly, you know, women women also uh, can can cheat as well. Uh, but it's the cheating husband analogy. So first degree heart block. The husband is always late home, but he's always the same time. He, he's always late, but he's always late at the same time every day. Okay. So that's first degree heart block. Uh, Venky back, Mobitz type one. The husband gets progressively later and later coming home, and then one night just doesn't come home, and yeah. then get, starts all over again. Um, Mobitz type two, just husband comes two days one day doesn't come so say it's a two to one or three days is on time okay, one day so then goes, yeah. there's a regular meeting outside of the home and then complete heart block husband and wife you know the two spouses just not talking anymore they don't they don't you know one's going to bed while the others is waking up etc etc so they're just doing their own thing they're just doing completely their own thing Heart block explained through a, uh, a troublesome relationship. There you go. Excellent. Um, thank you so much, Bill. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? I don't think so. I think what can be very... I mean, just as long as we can pop in those ECGs... Absolutely, will do. Will do. Um, the bradyarrhythmia treatment algorithm within the... Uh, yeah. From the uh, resuscitation council would be fantastic. Absolutely. Um, I hope that's okay. Brilliant. If there's yeah. any questions, we can probably cover them in another absolutely, podcast. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And um, we'll put up the ECGs, we'll put up some links, we'll put something yeah. about um, bivesicular and trivesicular block as well. Yeah. Please remember there's the first part as well, just to have a look at that. Already covered wobbler as well as a way of looking at ECGs. There's other things as well that, that can cause. But uh, thank you so much, Bill. Pleasure. That was the Brady Rhythmia podcast. As ever, you can find the blog entry and further links uh, for this podcast at www.takeorally.com. Remember, you can find both face, um, you can find both Take Orally and um, NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.